0: Well, it's good to be back in God's house this morning at Porchlight Baptist Church. Uh, we've been out the last two Sundays, uh, going to other churches and filling in for some pastors. Uh, north side, uh, they're still, they still don't have a pastor. And then at outreach, Brother Jonathan had a vacation, so was glad to be able to fill in there. And we had a great time, great, great services. But it's always good to be back in your home church. And glad to have those that are here this morning, those watching online, glad to have them. Uh, we also want you to keep remembering the Weaver family in your prayers, brother Kurt. We preached his funeral, uh, Wednesday and the graveside there Thursday, but remember all the Weaver family, the bowling family in your prayers. Um, Bill was one of my best friends. I, I was the uh, best man in his wedding, but Kurt was a, a church member of ours for many years and I've known him all my life. And, um, that's a, a huge, uh, part of that family that's now gone. And so you keep praying for them. And uh, remember the the family of uh, Lynn Fry that passed away. Uh, she was a church member of ours uh, a few years ago. And uh, also Stephen Babley's family. Uh, he he passed away. There's a lot of people we know who have been uh, dying here lately. And the Bible says it's appointed other men once to die and after this the judgment. So uh, we all have to be prepared for that time. But it's never easy, especially on families, losing those that they love. But uh, it is good to be here this morning. And uh, we're in our study in the Gospel of John. Uh, We've only had one so far. It's kind of an introduction. And then we talked about the word, the will and the way, in that message about three weeks ago. So this will be part number two of our Gospel of John sermon series. And this morning we're going to be looking at... uh, verses 1 through 5, I know we've already looked at uh, the first part of the chapter uh, last time, but we did not focus on verses 4 and 5, which is I want to do today. And we're going to be talking about the life and light of men. That's what i titled the message, The Life and Light of Men. But before we read our text, I do want to um, uh, talk about some other things that I left out of our introduction last time. Which I should have, should have put in there, but, um, there was just so much I was trying to work on and prepare. Uh, it just kind of slipped by me. And so we're going to put it in at the beginning of this message. And, uh, last time we spent a lot of time t- talking about the word and the logos, uh, you know, um, and we talked about uh, those really focused on the first three verses of chapter one. And, uh, we said last time the purpose of the gospel of John was so that, that all men may believe. Uh, in Christ, and so it's and be born again. Uh, but the key verse of the Gospel of John is uh, John chapter 20, and verse 31. If you want to write that down in your notes, if you're taking notes, uh, John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So that is the key. Of the gospel of John. And that's really what this whole book is about. And so it's not specifically written only to the Jew. Or to the Gentile. But it's written for all men. All the world. Jew and Gentile alike. Uh, Interesting enough. John never uses the word faith in this book. Uh, That may surprise you. But faith is not mentioned. Instead John uses the word believe. Believe. belief, Believeth. Um the other gospel writers use faith. Matthew mentions it twelve times, Mark five and Luke twelve times. So they're about faith, um, confession uh, of the Lord Jesus. You know, believing is the same thing. Belief. John doesn't use faith, he uses believe. And so uh, when it comes to Christ, you will find that he uses this word ninety-eight times throughout the gospel in some form. Believe believeth. Uh, different variants of belief uh, and the other gospels barely even use the word believe especially when it comes to knowing christ and so john's um, emphasis is on the lord jesus believing in him which means you trust him and not only do you trust him and believe in who he is you receive him and you see that theme throughout the book of john receiving christ and a lot of people think well i I don't know about that i thought all you need to do was you know uh believe in jesus call his name you will be saved well that's true but part of that is believing and so it's an action on your part is believing it's not a work it's an action and so john focuses upon belief instead of a single confession of faith you know a lot of people say well i was saved you know at this point in time and that's all, that's all they can say about their faith in Christ. Don't go to church. Don't worship him. Don't read the Bible. Don't pray. Don't do anything. But yet they want to fall back on that confession they made years and years and years ago. And whether that confession was true or not, I don't know. But the Bible says by their fruit you will know them. And so a lot of people I believe today are living a, a, a life of lies, a life of they've never been saved, but they fall back on that confession of faith they made one time, which may have been um, because they were scared. It may have been because they were following everybody else. And maybe they were one of those places where they say, if you want to be saved, raise your hand. And they look around and everybody's raising their hand and they go like this. And so they base their faith in Christ upon uh, being that one time confessing. But they don't, uh, uh, their, their belief and their actions are not following up with it. So, uh, John uses the word believe. Now, most people believe, and I do as well, that the Gospel of John was the second from last book written in the New Testament. Revelation being the last book that was written, and John being, of course, the human penman of both these books. Uh, It's also believed that John was the last living apostle at the time this book was written. And it was written late, like in 92 AD. So, it had been several generations since Christ had been crucified buried and rose again so three to four generations of people now and believers are on earth at the time this gospel was written and so it's been uh, it's made, been made clear to people that Christ is not returning soon uh, as soon as he ascended and, and the angels said you know he was going to come back in like manner and so everybody was waiting and watching and thinking it's going to come anytime now anytime now he's going to come back and he's going to establish his earthly kingdom here on this earth. And so they were thinking it was immediate. Well, many years have passed since then. So now they're getting the idea, well, it's not going to be immediate. And it's going to be a future time. And so John focuses upon living your life now uh, in, in hopes of that coming time. But meanwhile, occupying till he comes. And so not to be focusing upon now, today, he's coming back, but how do I live now as a Christian? How do I conduct myself? How do I treat others? How do I share the gospel? How do I do this? How does my faith really, is is it put into action? My belief, am I putting it into action? And so uh, John lays this groundwork for present-day believers still awaiting Christ's return. And here we are over 2,000 years later still Uh, expecting Christ's immediate return any time. And by the way, there's nothing hindering him from coming back now. Everything has been fulfilled that needs to be fulfilled. He could come back at any time and call us out of here. Now, we know, we believe we're uh, pre-millennial, pre-tribulation. We believe that the the church will be raptured out before uh, the, the tribulation period, that we won't go through that. And uh, we know that from from what we read in the Bible. Don't see any any other uh, way around it. And so that's our belief. And so we're just like John was writing to the people that was waiting on Christ's return. Now, there's an interesting thing about John's gospel. He doesn't, like we said last time, he doesn't um, mention a lot of the things that the other gospels mention. The synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Instead, he he focuses upon Jesus' life and and what he did, instead of, you know, and who he is. Uh, He focuses on who Jesus is, the Son of God, and the very image of God. But the book of John tells us about seven miracles of the Lord Jesus there's the turning water into wine in John chapter 2, the healing of the nobleman's son in John chapter 4. The healing of the impotent man in John chapter 5. The feeding of the 5,000 plus in John chapter 6. The walking on the water, John chapter 6. Giving sight to the blind man, John chapter 9. And raising Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. Those are the seven miracles that the Gospel of John uh, informs us of. Well, there's also something else in the Gospel of John, or sevens, Seven messianic claims from Jesus. I refer to these as the I am's. There's seven I am's mentioned in the book of John that, that prove and show us that he is the Messiah. He is the son of God. Uh, in fact, he is God. Uh, there is the I am the bread of life. John 6 and 35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now these, these things, that these I am's, these messianic claims, are also titles of Jesus. You could say, well, what's some other names for Jesus? He's the bread of life. The next one, I am the light of the world, he said. In John chapter 8, verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We're going to talk about that light and life uh, after we read our text this morning. Uh, The third I am or messianic claim is I am the door, the door. I am the door, John 10 and 9. He says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The fourth claim, I am the good shepherd. John 10 and 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. The fifth one, I am the resurrection and life. John 11 and 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. The sixth claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You could have broke those up into three different ones if you wanted, but they're all together. John fourteen six, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And in the seventh messianic claim of Christ the I am the true vine, John 15 and 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. So these seven I am statements are Jesus claiming his deity. Uh, If there was any question as to whether Jesus was the promised Messiah or whether Jesus is the very image of God, these right here should show us. What is it when uh, Moses asked uh, the Lord what his name was, he said, I am. What's Jesus saying? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. And notice in all those ams, they're capitalized in your King James Bible. I don't know about these other Bibles, these goofy Bibles, but King James, that I am, the A is capitalized. And so Jesus is the promised Messiah, and all one had to do was point back to all these claims he made and say, yes, that's true. He is all these things. And so this is one of the reasons, by the way, why the Pharisees were always wanting to get rid of him, and kill him. They thought he was being blasphemous. He is claiming to be God, and claiming to be the one, of the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, of the good shepherd, the resurrection, of life, the way, the truth, and life, and the true vine. And so they said, this man is blasphemous, and we need to kill him. All right. So those were some things I wanted to add in the last we uh, last time's message, the first one. But uh, I now I want to look at the, uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And our attention is going to be on verses 4 and 5. And remember, I've titled this, The Life and the Light of Men. So let's read our text, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Let's pause for a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. I thank you for those that are here today, Lord, and listening. I pray, God, now that you will preach for me and through me. And, God, that your word will go out and do a mighty work in the hearts of those that are listening. And, Lord, help us this morning as we glorify you. And may you receive all the glory for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so here in these verses 4 and 5, we see the mention of life and light. And these both are part of those messianic claims, These the I am statements that Jesus made about I am the light. I am the life, he said. He's the bread of life, he said. Um, so it's obvious that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all present during creation. In fact, uh, the first chapter of John is kind of a, a an echo of the book of Genesis about the creation. Uh, these first parts of the book of John, um, and so it's obvious that all three members of the triune Godhead were involved and present during creation. Uh, they are all all God, but three God in three persons. Um, so. John ties creation directly to the word. He says in the beginning was the word. And that means the Logos. You remember we talked about this last time, the Logos. Um, And so um, he's tying creation to Jesus and says that all things were made by him and nothing was made without him. Everything was made with him. Nothing outside of Jesus has been made. Uh, we are told also in John 5 and 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Now we know that Jesus came to do the will of who? The Father. He made. He said that many times. I came here not to do my will, but the will of the Father. Well, well Isn't he the Father? Well, no, he's not the Father. He's the Son, but he is still God. And I know it's hard to get your head wrapped around sometimes, and that's why a lot of these these cults that come around knocking your doors they don't believe in uh, the Trinity for one thing. They don't believe in the triune Godhead, and you try to you point them out in Scripture, and they'll deny it and deny it and everything else. But uh, the simple fact is, God is in three persons, and we sing that song sometimes: "Holy, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity." And the word Trinity is not used, but we know from the theology and doctrine of the Bible, there is a Trinity. That's why we call it triune. Tri meaning three, triune dotted, all three united. And so uh, the Bible also tells us in John 5 and 21, For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. That word quickeneth here in our King James Bible means to make alive. That's what that means, to quicken, to make alive, make come alive. And so the Father raises up the dead, the Bible says, and he gave, uh, even so the Son can raise up the dead, whom he will, the Bible said. Uh, Therefore, Jesus can say, as we know in John chapter 14 and verse 6, when Thomas was saying, well, you know, how do we know the way and all this this? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And then he says, the life. The life. So Jesus says that he's the life. It's more than just our human existence, our ability to to be alive and breathe. It's, it's much more than that. When the Bible talks about Jesus being the life, it's speaking not only in a physical way but a spiritual one. And so when uh, Jesus says he's the life, he is the only way for everlasting life, eternal life. Life everlasting. And uh, it says uh, in John 3.16, we all know that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. And so when Jesus says I'm the life, he's saying I am, yes, I'm the creator. I'm the one that, that uh, you know breathed life into man's nostrils. We know the Holy Spirit breathes upon man and Jesus was part of the creation, what the Bible say, what John say, that all things were created by him, the word, logos, and nothing was created without him, so Jesus was uh, responsible as well, in the creation of man, so he gives man life physically, but he gives man life spiritually, everlasting life is referring to a life, beyond this earth, a life in heaven that lasts forever, now, it says everlasting, meaning eternal existence. The Bible says, and we, we talked about this right at the beginning of the message, we're talking about death in Hebrews nine twenty seven, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And it's the after this part that we need to be concerned about. After this, those who are saved will have eternal life, but those who are not saved, they will have eternal damnation. So, again, this is the spiritual sense we're talking about. Uh, Both will still remain alive. When you die and you're a sinner and and lost, not saved, you'll go to hell and you'll still be alive forever in torment. But the spiritual part is not there. It's not eternal life. It's eternal damnation, a life of suffering in hell. And so uh, Jesus is the only means for eternal life. And to avoid eternal damnation because he is, as he claims, the life. He's the life. In the next part of a verse there, he says, not only, it says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Not only is he the life, but he's the light. And that's, he also made that claim. He said in, uh, um, uh, where I, I didn't reference it here, but that he is the light. In him, John says it right there in verse 4, In him was life, and life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And so uh, we're aware of what light is. There's one right there. Uh, it's pretty bright in my eyes. We've got a shield behind it so it doesn't get so bright in your eyes. But we all know what light is. It's what, the absence of what they say, the absence of darkness. Well, it's much more than that. It's not just absence of darkness. Uh, you know, in the middle of the night, if you get up and it's dark and you've got to go to the bathroom and your eyes have been closed and everything's been dark and you can't see. You get up. If you don't have a light somewhere, it's dark. You, you stumble and uh, hit your toe on the piano that's sticking out every time I walk through there in the middle of the night. <laughs> but light's not just absence of darkness. It's spiritually the enemy of darkness, light is. Dark and light are enemies of each other. We see here in verse 5 of our text, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness in this case is referring to the world being absent of the sun's light. I mean, not referring to the world being absent of the sun's light, S-U-N, but absent of the sun's light, S-O-N. So it, it means an ignorant, wicked, evil people. A uh, world being absent of God's light. So it, it's a spiritual sense again. In our modern English, that word comprehended right there, we say it means misunderstood or understood, comprehended. If I comprehend that, I understand it. That's the way we think of the word comprehend. But it's a little different here in the Bible. It doesn't mean quite the same way as what we think. What it means in the Bible is admitted or accepted or received is what comprehended. So you could actually say this verse, verse 5, like this. And the light shined on the wicked world, and the wicked world would not receive it. You could say it that way. That's what it means. So the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The light shineth on the wicked world, and the wicked world would not receive it. Because comprehend here means more of receive, or admit to something, or accept something. Uh, In the Bible, light refers usually to biblical truth. It refers to holiness. It refers to purity. Uh, All things good is usually what light represents. Uh, A city on a hill. We we can't put our light under a bushel. Remember that little song you all used to sing as little kids? You know, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. And so the light refers to the goodness of things. But darkness refers to... Falsehood or wickedness or evil, sinful, hell, and relationship with Satan is what darkness refers to throughout the Bible. And this world and unbelievers are often said to be in darkness. It's a world of darkness. Believers are in darkness. The Old Testament prophesied about a light that would come. And you know, we sing one of the, the most sung songs in church is Amazing Grace. And what does it say in that? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas what? Blind, but now I see. So that, again, is a comparison of the light and dark. I once was blind, meaning everything's in black, it's in darkness. I was lost, I was a sinner, I was in darkness. But once I got saved, now I am no longer blind. I can see, and I'm in light. And so that comparison of darkness and light, whenever someone has heard the gospel, then they are no longer in darkness once they receive Christ as their Savior. And when the gospel's heard, it's like a beam of light shining in the darkness. Uh, the Old Testament, like I said, prophesied that the light would come. Uh, listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 5. And <clears throat> this is a this is again this is a messianic uh, portion of the scripture in the Old Testament prophesying uh, toward that. Isaiah 61. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together, they come to thee. Thy sons shall come from afar, from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come <coughs> unto thee. Now, all through the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied about the Gentiles coming to the light. You know, they're going to see the light. They'll no longer be in darkness. Well, it's talking about a wicked perverse um, people. In fact, that's what it said there, that the people themselves, gross darkness, the people were in gross darkness. In other words, void of any good, void of any holiness, any purity. But the Bible says, well, there's going to be one come, the light's coming. And so that's a foretelling of the Messiah that was coming. And, of course, we know that Jesus is the Messiah that was promised. In fact, John gives, us, gives Jesus the title of the light. Look at it there in our opening text down in uh, verse 6 through 11. Uh, four times John refers to Jesus as the light. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Uh, this is talking about John the Baptist, which we'll talk about next, next time. There's a man sent from God whose name is John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. Notice that light is capitalized. That all men through him might believe. He was not that light, capital L, but was sent to bear witness of that light, capital L. That was the true light, capital L, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So notice there that light is capitalized. Is it capitalized in your Bible? Yeah, in our King James it's capitalized, meaning that it is a a title or a name. And so um, look look again there in verse 11. It says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And that goes right along with verse 5 that we've been talking about. It says, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Remember what we said comprehended means? Receive. Accept. So uh, that goes right along. Verse 11 and verse 5 go go with each other. And so Jesus' own people would not receive him. It wasn't that they simply didn't understand who he was. Now, some didn't. But it's not that they didn't understand who he was. They refused to receive him. With all the, the, the obvious signs of the Messiah, he fulfilled every portion of scripture. He was right there in front of them. He was the light that came in the darkness. And you know what they said? Nope, I'm not accepting it. I'm not receiving it. So they blatantly made up their minds to refuse to believe in him. Even though it was obvious who he was, they're not going to believe him. They would not receive him. He came into his own, his own being the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. He came unto them and they said, nope, we're not receiving you. We, we're not. So they would not comprehend him. But the truth is, you must receive Jesus to be saved. And some people don't like that. They say, oh, wait a minute. What is, what's all this? you got to receive Jesus. How do you receive Jesus? Well, the Bible tells us that's what happens when we believe in him. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You see that? So believing in him and who he is and accepting, receiving him, that's when you get saved. You receive Christ. So there's nothing wrong with, with telling somebody, you know, receive Christ as your Savior. You know, take him for yourself. That's what that word receive means, is to take for oneself, to receive. So there's nothing unbiblical about saying it. In fact, it's very biblical. You must receive Christ as your Savior in order to be saved. Because if we do not receive him, we do not take him as our Savior. And we're not saved. That means we reject him. So a person that comes to church, they hear the message preached. The Lord penetrates their heart. They get that Holy Spirit conviction on them. They understand their lost. They need to be saved. But they say, nope, not today. I do not receive you, Jesus. I'm not going to accept you. And so they'll push him away, even though they know the truth. They've heard the truth. This light has shined into their dark soul And gave a little bit of light enough to where they understand they're under conviction, but yet they say, no, I will not receive it. They will not comprehend him to become their savior. So they reject him. All right. And I'm going to stop right here this morning because I want to start talking a little bit about John the Baptist because that's who John, the gospel writer, is is referring to in verse six. And so I want to kind of put him together there with, with the next upcoming verses. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, it's always a joy to study uh, God's word. But uh, when you start diving deep into it and looking at, you know, the meanings of, of the words and things and, and not just uh, on the surface, you know, that's, that's many people's problem today of not understanding the Bible is they just want to surface read it just to get through it they'll say I, I need to read the bible today and so they'll go through and they'll read it and they don't they don't remember the next day what they've read if we'll get in there and start digging and looking at it and say well that word comprehended that's not really a word we use a lot and so look at it and look in your your concordance your and your dictionaries your bible dictionaries and things and say what well, what all does that word mean? I mean, wh- why is it there? Why does it say comprehended instead of received or accepted or, or anything like that? And get these little nuggets out there. And it's like it's like digging for gold. Uh, you're not going to stand out there in the middle of, of, a, of a creek or river holding a shovel and a pan and saying, All right, I'm here to get gold. And that's all you're doing. No, you've got to start digging. you got to get down in there and start digging down under there and pulling it up and stringing it out and, and looking until you find the nugget. Well, that's the way the Bible is. The Bible is not just to skim over the surface and say, ah, I read that chapter today, you know, next. No, you get down in there and you pray on it. You meditate upon it and say, Lord, reveal to me. And that light that he is, he will shine that light upon his word and reveal it, to it unto you. I remember when I first started studying the Bible, I didn't know anything. I mean, just, you know, the, the you know the famous stories that I heard when I was a kid. I, of course I knew all those, but I couldn't tell you about what anything meant really until I got down, I got serious, and I started praying. I said, Lord, you're gonna have to show me because I, I just I'm not smart enough. And praying about it and thinking over it and reading it over and over and over and studying it and meditating upon it, and he will the Holy Spirit will shine that light upon that scripture and we will show it to you and you'll be able to understand it better and it, it just helps you so much to have a deeper of the bible the bible talks about the deep things of god that's because we need to get off the milk and get on the meat you know too many people stay on the milk their entire life never get any deeper they're always shallow you know well it's ankle deep that's about all about as far as they go you need to get in waist deep Get in up your armpits in it, and then and then the, the Bible start being a whole lot better for you. All right, well that's just my little nugget to pass along with you today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, Heavenly Father God, we come to you this morning, thanking you so much for the message, Lord. I pray that it's been helpful, Lord. I pray for those that are here and listening, God. I pray that you help us in our personal Bible study, Lord. That we'll will dig dig deep, Lord, and and see the the precious things that you have in store for us lord those nuggets that's down in there the deep things of god and lord we just pray for each one today we pray for those we mentioned at the beginning of the service it's lost loved ones and lord we pray that you give them uh just uh, um, your peace upon them lord and, and and strength and god that uh we also pray for that lost person out there today the one that's It's not receiving you, Lord. It's pushing you away, God. It's maybe been a conviction, but, Lord, they're, they're refusing to believe. Lord, I pray before it's too late, God, that they will make that decision to believe in you and receive you as their Savior. Help us, Father, as we try to reach this dark world with the light of the gospel. Help us now. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen.